Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. To date, we have only discussed Aggie once before. How the hell did that happen? Greetings, Attic Wives and Lit Witches. I am your host, Emily Edwards. We are continuing with Murder Mystery October with the Queen of Murder. I don't know how we hold so much reverence for this phenomenal author who wrote everything you could ever think of and knew so many different ways to take lives. We've only discussed her work once before in a compendium episode about Hercule Poirot, but today we're kind of jumping into someone that is even more notorious, maybe. I don't know. It's been a blast. Agatha Christie has her issues in every single one of her books. She was, regrettably, of her time. Racist and a little bit sexist and definitely classist. Her lists of ists go on and on. This is a great fucking book. All right, everyone with me today is a voice you will recognize from a couple past episodes, I think, at this point. We had Ethan Frome and the Westing game, which kind of leads to this one very seamlessly. <laughs> Taverly, how the hell are you? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to be back and that we're talking about this book. I I will confront this very quickly. I generally don't like Miss Marple books. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't have a problem with, like, cozies, and I don't have a problem, obviously, with meddling old women. Meddling old women are, like, my favorite things in the world. Right. And she is, like, the essential meddling old woman. But for some reason, I just don't like Miss Marple. Oh, dear. I'm okay. Sorry. I liked this book. I, I, I'm glad you liked this book. I had no idea that you uh, weren't a Miss Marvel fan because there's so many things about her and that I know about you and your preference yes. for, um, you know, intelligent kind of meddling yeah. women and uh, especially like older ladies. Mm-hmm. Uh, cue the Golden Girls theme music yeah. right now. Uh, <laughs> I shan't sing it because I don't feel like torturing anybody. <laughs> But yeah, I really thought that like you would see Miss Marple as like this great heroine who you just loved. So I'm I'm very surprised that you are not really a Marple fan. I think one of the things about Marple that I find very interesting is that she's like not really in the books very much. <laughs> and I kind of like always expect her to be like the investigator. But really, like what she does is she just kind of like pesters people into mm-hmm. like she pokes them she nudges them she nudges them and like I guess that is very very charming but part of me also just like really loves you know like Poirot where he's just kind of like 
swings open doors and it's like, mon ami, I am here to save the day. And it's just like, yes, that's what I love. And But like, she doesn't really do that. She's always just like, oh, I'm so old and frail. I couldn't possibly get out of this armchair. What if you looked here, you know? <laughs> yes. I always think it's really funny that like Poirot is thought of as the armchair detective because really it's way more marble. It's so much more marble, which like, I guess she's so deft at playing into like the stereotypes of old women, which I, mm-hmm. is obviously like its own power. And it's something I do respect very much because yeah. like my favorite thing is the fact that she's always described as fluffy. <laughs> she is. Yes. It's great. She's always um, perceived as not a threat. Yes. And Poirot, like, while physically he seems to be, you know, not imposing and not really threatening, everyone is very aware of how sharp his mind is and they're Mm -hmm. not really going to get things past him. Yeah. Um, But with Marple, she's constantly underestimated, like looked at as this doddering old lady who's off in the corner. Yeah. Um, And nobody seems to realize how smart she is, how cunning she is, how she's able able to get this network of people to do her bidding that's true it's kind of incredible <laughs> i love how well connected marple is for the fact that she lives in a town of like 45 people i think it's something to be said for like being older and having lived so much of a life mm. you've met so many people and you've just through the course of living yes have made social and in her case, somewhat professional connections. Um, And it's across class too, which I find really interesting. Like she's like, especially in this book, she's like, I'm going to call in like a cleaning lady and like the nephew of a Lord who's a police inspector. And it's like, Ooh, you know, everybody, your Rolodex is full. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. And I, I always, um, I have an appreciation of both, Marple and Poirot and how they talk to everyone like their people. The class system doesn't affect their ability to get things done and to be empathetic and relate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's really, really lovely um, because so many of the other characters in the books are very class conscious. I think my favorite thing about Cozy Misties in general, but this book specifically, everyone is at least a low-grade asshole. Oh my gosh, I know. Like, everybody is so annoyed that this woman had the nerve to get herself murdered (laughs) and left on their estate. Like, how inconvenient and inconsiderate could she possibly be? This whorish French woman, because she's wearing French underpants. How dare dare she sully the memory and legacy of our like snacky cake empire (laughs) yes that's like that's my favorite part of the favorite detail of this is that like a lot of these cozy mysteries that happen in mansions especially agatha christie and british um mansion mysteries it's like they're almost always like fancy pants titled families you know it's just like oh this degenerate mp you know who like oh someone got murdered at his house but this one is new money and i'm like yeah let's play with new money it is new money, but they're still like so classist and elitist that you would think it wasn't new money. Yeah. They're like, such dick bags. I hate oh, them so, so much. 
Yeah. So that was why when you were we were talking about reading a Marvel book for this podcast, this is the one that came to mind. It's perfect. Everybody. It's perfect. I seem to have a knack for picking those ones where you can make the argument that everyone is a fuckboy. <laughs> everyone is terrible. <laughs> like, I can't even think of anybody who's just like, oh, no, they're fine. Like, you know, like the cast of characters in 450 to Paddington is like this old man with tons of money who has way too many adult children and somehow mysteriously no grandchildren. He has got one grandchild. Yes. And I think the only reason he has that grandchild is because that child died. Like yes. that's the old, like that's that child's representation in the book. Because exactly. she's dead. By proxy. Yes. <laughs> of course it's a woman because you can, you know, like. Right. You know, yeah. You always have to kill off one mom at least. Well, she was dead before the start of the book. So that was fair. True. I mean, we get to killing a lot of people once we get rolling. The bodies rack up. Up. I'm like, Aggie, you are just knocking off everybody. <laughs> yes, yes, it's great. It's like every time you turn around, there's another dead body. A dead guy. And, okay, so just in okay, because Agatha Christie wrote like how many books? Like oh 75 God. to 90 or something so like many. that. It's yeah. ridiculous. Now that we're like 10 minutes in, perhaps <laughs> can you explain like the plot specifically of 450 to Paddington? Yes. Okay. So it all starts where this older woman who is a friend of Miss Marple's is coming to visit her. She hops on the train. Uh, and as she is traveling along, she uh, is next to another training going in the same direction. And they're kind of neck and neck for a while. Um, and she looks out the window and the shade on the other train goes up and she witnesses a murder. This man is choking a woman. And yeah. And she is like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm seeing this. She reports it. Everybody thinks that, oh, you had a bad dream. You just have a really overactive imagination. You're a lonely old lady trying to get attention. And exactly. they ignore her. Yeah. She goes and tells her friend, Miss Marple, who knows her character and knows that she's not the kind of woman to make up a story like this and sends uh, a f- young friend of hers who is a cook housekeeper sort to go to this uh, mansion where Miss Marble has figured out is the most logical place that the body has ended up. Over the course of the investigation, you meet this entire cast of characters from the old uh, wealthy gentleman to all of his children uh, who are really all just terrible, terrible people. Um, you stumble across or um, the, the housekeeper maid cook person uh stumbles across the body after going searching all over the grounds for it in a sarcophagus that you just have because you got more money than sense <laughs> right yeah because they have this giant barn that is full of pillaged antiquities <laughs> like you do but my favorite part is is that the entire family is like, they're not the good ones. They're ugly. Right. They're horrible. But right. you bought them. <laughs> yes. So, uh-huh. <laughs> it's great. And, and then everybody's really annoyed at the housekeeper made cook because she found, like, what, what was she doing in there? Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter was she was looking for a body. Specifically poking around for a dead lady. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. She found the dead lady. Uh, and then uh, more people start to die. Yep. And it's like, 
what is happening? They're trying to figure out who the dead girl is. And they're like, well, she must be foreign. French underwear. French underwear. Um, And she must have some connection to the house. Because why else would she be here? Yeah. Which, like, reasonable conclusion. Like, Fairly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, if you didn't have that opening bit about Mrs. McGillicuddy seeing the murder on the train. Talk about, like, the greatest name to give a character in, like, the opening salvo of a story. It's just, like, Mrs. McGillicuddy. And she's just, like, huff, like huffing through a train station trying to keep up. And you just imagine this, like, incredibly dowdy Scottish woman. And it's just like, yes. <laughs> yes. It's delightful. But um, it, it, people keep getting poisoned. And they're Everyone just, just like... And- Pops and then, off like buttons on an old shirt. Yes. And and then at what, like at one point the house gets sick. And yeah. we discover that like everyone in the house had taken poison. It was supposedly in curry. Which <laughs> Oh, the danger of foreign food. <laughs> yeah. This is of how colonialism things. gets you. <laughs> of all things, it's arsenic in the curry, guys. Thanks so much. Can't taste the poison over all of this flavor. If we were just eating boiled mutton, then I would have been fine. <laughs> so, yeah, all these people keep dying. And then you're like, <clears throat> we're running out of suspects here, guys. Yeah, literally. Killing them all. Um, you know, conveniently, in brilliant Agatha Christie manner, she kills off the two most likely suspects first, and you're yes. just like, oh, no, what's going to happen? <laughs> right. And then, like, there's a shadow of suspicion on pretty much everybody else, mm-hmm. because you're like, well, of course, the and it's a, a plot device that she's used in other novels, where the uh, murderer will take some of the poison to kind of throw people off and, right. like well, it couldn't possibly have been me. I got sick. You kind of think that's what's happening here too. Um, And then uh, Miss Marple figures it out and she comes to tea and uh, with Mrs. McGillicuddy. Who's back from Ceylon because like she had to go to (laughs) Sri Lanka on vacation. Like, (laughs) I know she's incredibly well-traveled, which is really dowdy little Scottish lady. She is just hopping all over the place. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she, Miss McGillicuddy excuses herself and, uh, Miss Marple eats a fish paste sandwich and then gets a fishbone caught. Uh, the doctor who's been there attending to the family, especially the old man, um, who thinks he's dying all the time, but is actually totally fine, uh, is there to help Miss Marple. He's standing over her, holding her throat. Uh, to a sister, Miss McGillicuddy walks in the room and identifies him as the murderer she saw on the train. And then you're like, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Like, why? And then the police come in and they explain that he killed the lady because she was his wife. Yes. And he has had designs on the eldest surviving daughter of this rich hoity-toity family. And he was going to marry into money, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, he was. And I also think he was going to kill her. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. Everybody everybody in that family was going to be pushing up daisies within like three years because that fellow was up to no good. 
Well, I mean, in the in the course of, of a couple of weeks, he bumped off like three of them. So yeah. it's impressive. Like it's super impressive. Uh, and I think my favorite part about like is she said she's so good at setting up everybody else. Like you have mm-hmm. like the widower Brian, who's like one of the family. He's a total lecherous creep towards the housekeeper, and you're just kind of like, oh, I hope it's you because you're a piece of crap, and it's just like. <laughs> Oh, she's so good. She's really good at setting up all the red herrings. <laughs> yes. There's so many in this book. And and you want them to be the murderer because they're all so unlikable. It's brilliant. She's so good at it. And then when it's like the only slightly likable person in the whole entire novel who turns out to be the murderer, you're like, oh, cut me again, Aggie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. There's yes, a reason indeed. why you made a bajillion dollars doing this. <laughs> like. Yes. It's so he's not really um he's not really focused on at any point in the book. He's just kind of like this peripheral character who's just kind of there and then kind of not and just kind of floats in and out. Out of the house. And it's just like, ah, you know, it has to be the house because like she's mm -hmm. so good at playing on like the class tensions of of British people where she's just like everybody who's reading this book is like a commoner who hates people with money and who like have been able to like buy themselves nobility and stuff like that. And of course, you're looking at these people and you're like, there's no way anybody who's actually titled is going to want to be friends with the people who made their fortune off of like snacky cakes because like they literally were like it's like if the hostess company or like the tasty cakes people just like suddenly got lots of money and acted bigger than their britches and it's like it's so great and like so they're in this weird limbo but it's a very comfortable limbo because they have absolutely Mm -hmm. just crap tons of money and she's so good at playing off of the fact that you just like always want rich people to go to jail like you always just want rich people to be hurt (laughs) yes indeed and she makes them all so like even Emma, who is the oldest daughter mm-hmm. who's still left who Dr. Quimper, the murderer, uh, describes as just being like such a good woman who knows her place and knows how to support her men folk mm-hmm. and just this delightful creature. And no, she's really not. She's really kind of terrible. It's so great because like this is a post-war book. And so Mm -hmm. it's taking place after World War II. And the fact that like Emma is like walking around going, oh, it's my job to take care of these men folk. It's my job to, you know, like give up my entire life in order to take care of people. Anybody who's reading this post-World War II is like, go fuck yourself. That is just stupid. And then on top of that, they keep painting her as too old to get married, too old to have children, too old to do anything. And she's like 34. (laughs) I know. The the knife that just like, gets stuck in my heart when I realize that these women are not actually old. They're not. They're children. Like they're 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 prime of your life. They're they're adult women. And that's yes. why these men hate them so much is because like of you're not married by the time you're like 22, which like you and I both were like <laughs> fair. Yeah. <laughs> but like if you're not married by the time you're 22, you're like bespoiled cuz you have your own opinions and and feelings about them. 
sense. Right. Yes. And like no man is going to want to be with a woman who has her own thoughts and feelings and and is used to just like running around expressing them all the time. Running her own household with her own values because like she basically like her dad has all the money and he like part of the the rub between the whole family is that the dad is very, very, very wealthy, but like he won't give up any money. Like he won't give them allowances. He won't like give them any cash to live off of. And they're just kind of like, you're richer than Roosevelt. What the hell's the matter with you? And he's just kind of like, I'm poor and I can't afford anything. So the house is falling down. They have like bad food and stuff like that. And he's just like, fuck you, children. All you do is mooch. And it's like, maybe you shouldn't have seven of them. (laughs) Right. Or maybe you should have taught them to like go out and do things. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's a thought too. (laughs) Because they're all worthless. That's like the best part. It's like. Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is, I think part of the reason he couldn't go out and teach them to be useful is because he was never taught to be useful. He was an heir who was the oldest of his um, father's two children. Mm -hmm. His brother died, um, but his brother was also a 'er ne'er-do-well. He was this, uh, you know, supposed adventurer who went off and traveled the world and brought home crappy antiquities. Um, And then his father died and left him all the things, but a lot of it was left in trust. Yeah. That was supposed to pass on to the next generation. Yeah. Um, Because he was, you know, not a terribly responsible person up to that point. Mm -hmm. And then he changed and somewhere around middle age decided that, oh, this money isn't going to last forever. I need to be more responsible with it. And his version of responsible was to pretty much live like a miser yeah, and uh, kind of keep his children on a shorter financial leash. Yes. That's a very polite way of putting it, which like, I feel like it's very common. You know, it's just like, you know, when you, I'll just talk about my parents. Like when my parents first had kids, they didn't have a ton of money. And then like, as we got older, they got more established in like working and stuff like that. And they had a little bit more money, but they were just kind of like, we got to save this forever. And then like, you know, and it's just kind of like, at some point your kids are going like, are we ever going to get like new clothes? Like, or do we, you know? And they're just like, no, never. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And there, there's and the stuff that he kept saying about food too. I thought was very interesting. Like, there are a couple of of teen boys who are visiting the house. One of yes. them is his, his grandson. The other is his grandson's friend, who also ends up having a weird connection to the family from his mother. How? How is that possible? We don't know. We're just gonna go with it. We'll explain it later. <laughs> right. It's fine. It's fine. Um, but they're visiting and they're hungry and they're eating like tons of food. And like he's 14 year old boys freaking out that they're eating, that, that they're, they're making all this food and it's such waste. Yeah. And it's like not a waste, not a waste. They're growing. They're, they're growing. They're eating it. Yeah. And he's like, I don't understand why they get are eating more than I eat. And I'm like, dude, you're a 70 something year old dude. Who does nothing. nothing. You just sit you in a like, chair all day. You're not burning calories. Dying. Yeah. Yeah. You don't go anywhere. You don't do anything physical. These boys are out like riding bikes and playing football yeah. and soccer for yeah. the American audience. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, Let's and, translate. 
<laughs> I know. Yeah. And they're just terribly active. Yeah. And as a mother of a 14-year-old boy, I can tell you there's no way that I could have my child subsist on what a 70-year-old man would eat. Absolutely not. It's impossible. Like, if you don't budget for the fact that kids eat a ton of food, like, I understand it's getting harder. Like, food prices are going through the roof. You know, same thing, like, after the war, it's like now that they're no longer in rations and stuff like that, like, food prices yeah. were really tumultuous and stuff like that. They complain about taxes constantly in this book. And I'm oh just like, were you I'm a so bunch sure. of Republican Americans? Jesus Christ. As always, there's boatloads more boatloads actual boatloads more on patreon at patreon.com slash fuckboysoflit if you can spare a buck it'll unlock the rest of this episode and full length episodes going back for like a year and a half so if you can spare it head on over if not please hit subscribe and leave us a happy little review wherever you're listening that would help immensely i really appreciate it there's links to taverly social in the show notes as well as a few other very helpful links and i can't thank you enough for spending a half hour of your day with us as always i am your host emily edwards and have a good one